Okay, then. Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Anna Mae Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. Hi, Candice. How's your Oscar season so far? Um, I, <laughs> I suppose it's fine. Uh, right, I am on a movie show. Maybe I should have like been paying more attention to the Oscars and who is nominated. Oops. Oops. Yeah. No, no. It's it's fine, I guess. Uh, yeah, no. Good to know uh, that the co-host of the movie show is heavily invested in the biggest awards of the movie year. Anyway. You know, the Oscars don't give away awards to horror movies or Hallmark movies. So, I mean, <laughs> how much am I supposed to care? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some of those some of those nominees were pretty horrific to me. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new psychological thriller, Knock at the Cabin, which you can now see at a theater near you. And that's going to be in the second half of the show. For the first half, uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to have a bit of true confession in this moment uh mm -hmm. we're gonna gonna have a segment that i blatantly ripped off from another movie show um <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much content in the world i i i hope we're not reaching the limits of content but um for for these purposes yeah uh m night Shyamalan, kind of a famous movie director kind of in his own league uh in, in many respects uh he bursts onto the scene in uh the best movie year ever with the sixth sense has several noted successes and then takes kind of a left turn through the valleys of the happening and after earth and the last airbender which uh i i personally know people and i know candace knows people who who heckled literally heckled the screen <laughs> <laughs> um, at, at the last Airbender, and then he makes his comeback. Uh, he does the these this found footage movie, The Visit, and then he's doing these small budget things, um, kind of in the mold of. Well, I believe The Visit was a Bloomhouse joint originally, and so it was Split, and so he he gets into this mode of doing these small movies on on small budgets, and he seems to be having quite the renaissance. Um, in terms of uh, people enjoying the Shyamalan work again and uh, look forward to his films. Knock at the Cabin was uh, no exception, but because of this, it seems kind of a bit weird to say, like, what are the best Shyamalan movies? Well, I think we could probably rattle them off, you know, one one by one. What are the worst Shyamalan movies? Well, we it's, it's, it's high highs and low lows with this filmmaker. So picking up where film spotting... Uh, the Film Spotting Podcast uh, left off. Uh, we're going to choose our own for the first part of the show, Shyamalan moments, our favorite Shyamalan moments from his uh, storied 25-year career. And, you know, some of these may be on the obvious side, but maybe some are not. I'm, I have my three here in front of me on my notes, and I know Candace has her notes in front of her, so... 
why don't you kick us off, Candice, with your first uh, Shyamalan moment, favorite Shyamalan moment? Sure, sure. And just um, <clears throat> on on the Shyamalan, uh, I have so I I also sort of got off the the train uh, at the happening. I watched that, and then I didn't <laughs> see the Last Airbender or After Earth. Or the visit. I did want to see the visit, and I'm not sure why it never, why that never happened. But I, I know I, I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I've also never seen Split or Glass, which may be sacrilege to some um, fans, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Uh, but I did recently watch uh, Old, which was mm-hmm. um, it interesting. Like it wasn't. Uh, it was. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't come out of it thinking. Oh, I have to tell everybody about this movie. Um, but so, so I was a huge fan. Um, I'm the kind of uh, fan of movies I really like. Auteurs, people who write and direct and who have a clear vision mm-hmm. and who just sort of own what they're doing and and make it their own. And obviously, uh, Shyamalan is is one of those directors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm a huge fan. Sort of the first bunch of his movies and my favorites are probably not other people's favorites but (laughs) saying that i do want to say i do have two sort of um things that didn't quite make the list but um and i'm not even sure if they're moments so um most people don't know about his first film wide awake um Mm -hmm. that was um interestingly (laughs) kind of a a religious sort of movie. It was about finding faith, which um, we may come back to that uh, later on in in this episode. Mm -hmm. But it was about finding faith because a young boy lost his grandfather and he was worried he needed to find proof of God so that he could know for sure that his his grandpa was in heaven. And um, I remember when I watched this, there was one particular moment and I I, uh, always kind of think of it um, and it was just uh, the grandfather, Robert Loggia, at one point explained to his grandson why, wh- like, what proof of God was. And he talked about how it snows. He's like, it's snowing. Like, there's water falling from the sky and it's crystallizing into all these things. And he talked about it just in such a way that I was just like, yes, like, I get this. Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't know exactly where I land on this like God or no God sort of thing. I'm like, Mm. could exist, could not, whatever. Either way, I totally accept that there's powers bigger than us as humans. I'm not like, (laughs) we're just beings (laughs) on the earth. There are a lot of things a lot bigger than us. And the fact that it snows is something that's a lot bigger than us. So Mm -hmm. um, that was something that has just like always stuck with me. And then Lady in the Water, which Mm -hmm. some people, you know, some people say that's where he started going a little sideways with his films, but mm-hmm. I just uh, one particular part of that movie, um, the character of Reggie only uh, works out his right side, his right mm-hmm. arm, his left arm, or his right arm and his right leg. That's it. Um, it amounts to nothing. There's no reason for it. It's just hilarious to me. It's like, why? <laughs> why is this a thing? Like it? Like there's no payoff. And it's mm-hmm. hilarious. So I just kind of love that, that there's this ridiculous thing that is there for no reason whatsoever. My real actual starting of the list, because <laughs> um, <laughs> those barely count as, they don't count as anything. Um, so uh, most of mine are pretty obvious. The first one is obvi- is a very obvious one, and it's The Happening, mm-hmm. which is um, not a great film, 
I I think I don't I don't know what Mark Wahlberg was doing. I don't think Mark Wahlberg knew what he was doing. I don't know. It's the trees, bro. It's the trees. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not sure if maybe there was a vision and we just <laughs> didn't get, get it or what happened there. But the opening of this film is great, particularly mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. me, and it stuck with me. I just I saw it and I thought, "Oh my god, this movie is going to be so good." <laughs> Because it was so good. The um, construction workers all just walking off the top of the building mm-hmm. is just like, it's such a shocking visual to see it happen. And it was just like, whoa, okay, this is where we're starting. Wow, we're really, we're really going to go somewhere here. And then we kind of didn't, which is disappointing. Um, but still, I still think that that scene is probably like one of his best sort of visual things that just, it's so unnerving. It makes you feel so uncomfortable and it's so simple at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's for me like a a one and I will sometimes just watch that scene. Yeah. (laughs) Then not bother with the rest of the movie. Yeah, the the scene the scene on its own is is very very good, um, and this was a phase of Mark Wahlberg's career. Is like, hey, bro, I'm an actor, um, because he does. Uh, this was around the time he does The Departed, um, and he does uh, like the, that football movie where he's the 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 older guy who finally takes a shot at becoming the the. Um, the football player, I think Eagles appropriately enough as we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. And he does the lovely bones with um with uh Jackson. So, you know, he he he's he's having a moment where he's like, I'm not just this, you know, former rapper turned actor and it's former Calvin Klein model. Former, yeah. So, you know, he was kind of trying to reach and uh Lord bless him, but uh it was it was not meant to be. Um, okay, for my first pick is actually from Split, and it is uh, the film that uh, features James McAvoy, although it was originally Joaquin Phoenix who was going to play the part of Ke- Kevin Wendell Crumb and all his various um, personalities, and I can't really imagine that because Joaquin Phoenix, I, I, don't, I don't consider an expressive actor necessarily. Um, but in in the story of Split, it's about this character, Kevin, who has 23 multiple personalities. A 24th one may or may not be emerging, depending on uh, what you think is going on. Uh, he is seeing this psychiatrist played by Betty Buckley, who is, I think is a Shyamalan regular. She's been in more than a few of his movies. And um, she's treating him. And... Everybody, I think everyone who's at least maybe seen the commercials or seen the trailers for Split know that uh, this character, Kevin, has kidnapped three girls, including Anya Taylor-Joy, and has them in prison somewhere. Um, At the same time, he's going about his life, including his appointments with Dr. Fletcher. And in this scene, Dr. Fletcher is trying to find out why Barry, one of the multiple personalities, keeps emailing her in the middle of the night asking for an emergency session. And Barry comes in the next day and says, oh, I just I just had a mo. And uh, sorry, Dr. Fletcher. Um, and he's going on like normal. But what Dr. Fletcher has come to realize is that there's this kind of power struggle. And one of the personalities is actually posing as Barry, trying to 
get Dr. Fletcher um, to uh, ignore some of these inconsistencies. And and this is the scene where Dr. Fletcher is finally able to convince Dennis to reveal that he's pretending to be Barry. And it's, I think what people underestimate Shyamalan for, which is his ability to work with actors and his ability to really capture very finely nuanced performances because you can watch it on Betty Buckley's face, how she's watching, she's walking this very, very tight, tight rope because she knows how dangerous uh, at least a couple of the personalities inside Kevin can be and how they are kind of triggered when, when Kevin feels like he's in danger or one of the other personalities feels like they're in danger. So she's walking very, very carefully. And through much of this, the camera's focused on McAvoy, who is, an actor pretending to be one person who's pretending to be another person. And you watch his face as Dr. Fletcher is explaining the situation and trying to coax it out of him. And you see this mix of emotion on his face as Dennis is struggling to hold on to the veneer of Barry. (laughs) And it's, it's it's some you know, it's 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 something you really can't quite explain um, to watch an actor playing another person playing another person and and trying to convey these little nuances and is Dennis really pretending to be Barry? Is Dennis going to keep up the facade or and eventually Dennis does break the facade and says yes, I'm Dennis pretending to be Barry and and then you watch Betty Buckley re- as Doctor Fletcher react because she knows like. This is some serious, you know what, that Dennis, who is one of the quote unquote bad personalities um, and who who she's never met before either, um, which is an interesting nuance, too, is that she's this is the first time Dr. Fletcher's encountering Dennis that, you know, and if anything, she's kind of even in more danger now or she's she has to walk even more delicately now after getting past the 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 facade it's uh it's so multi-layered it's so good and it's just two people sitting in a room talking to each other um and you really lean into the scene um watching if, if she's able to figure out not just that dennis is pretending to be barry but why dennis is pretending to be barry and why barry is sending out all these emergency emails and what's going on and the the multitudes of kevin crumb so it's uh <laughs> It's also kind of why it's disappointing that it ended up being a backdoor pilot to <laughs> the Unbreakable sequel that never happened because it's it, it could have been perfectly fine as just its own thing. But um, yeah, it's 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 great to watch and and uh, it's it's nice to watch uh, you know in what's a, ostensibly a silly story about a guy with multiple personalities, which is by no means. Um, a fully recognized clinical condition and and has been sort of vastly um i guess uh, mis- mishandled in in the media um sphere uh even though it has been known to happen it's it's grossly mischaracterized in a lot of movies and tv shows and books and things but yeah it's it's such, it's just it's great acting it's just really great acting which mm-hmm. i feel like people underestimate Shyamalan for in terms of guiding actors yeah. and, and getting performances yeah, I agree. He he does get really great performances, uh, which again I think we'll return to in the second <laughs> yes. half of this conversation. Yes, um, but yeah, he is very much an an actor's director, mm-hmm. which is so unique for a person who also has such a, a sort of visual 
mm. style. Like his, mm-hmm. I, I find his his visuals are really important too. And then also all the sort of themes. He's a real kind of like, I don't know, Renaissance man of mm-hmm. filmmaking, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, let's get to number two. Yeah. So number two. Um, yeah. Again, all of mine feel feel really obvious, but also <laughs> they're all from sort of his earlier films because those are the ones I, I really like. But um, so in the sixth sense, and the thing is, I think everybody has particular moments in the sixth sense mm-hmm. where they try to say the name and they can't because there's an S right after a TH sound. Ugh, I don't know why it came up with that. Um, but uh, so there's there's a lot of people who have a lot of different like favorite moments from that. But I mm-hmm. still remember I saw it in the theater and there's one scene that I still, after I saw it the first time, I I look away from the screen every time I rewatch the movie because I just don't want to see it. And it's um, when he's at school and he's following this sort of older boy, sort of a teen down the hallway and then, um, as it turns out, that teen had shot himself with mm-hmm. a with a rifle, and so we find out as we sort of circle around behind him, and then see the the gruesome wound in the back of his head. And I remember, I mean, there, like I said, there are so many moments in that 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 whole film that you just kind of like everything sort of drops as as a scene is revealed as as another dead person is sort of revealed and as we sort of see how they died or or something like that but that one in particular just really got me Mm. and i don't know why i don't know what it is about it but that's the one that just like chills me to the bone Mm. and like in the theater i was i was scared at that moment and still like i said every time i watch that scene again right as they do that sort of pan around to the back of his head i just look away from this even like <laughs> i don't know what it is because i obviously like <gasps> i'm closing my eyes right now i can see it it's in there it's just burned in there <laughs> but I'm like i don't need to see it again and i'm not like a i'm not a person who is afraid of gore as we talked about when i put mm-hmm. terrifier 2 on my list of favorite movies yep mind-boggling so i'm not afraid of gore i'm not i don't know what it is about that particular reveal that just got me so strongly, but it really did. There's a lot of earwig moments in that Sixth Sense movie. Um, there's the scene where he's walking down the hallway and he looks up a staircase. And this is after he's been in he's been in class and the, the, the teacher says to him, well, what, what was this building? I, I remember this vividly because I literally watched the Sixth Sense a couple of days ago. But the teacher says, um, you know, does anyone know what this building used to be? used for and cole puts up his hand he says they used to hang people here and the teacher's like no this used to be a court of justice and then you know as though they didn't hang people in courts of justice yeah and so afterwards he's walking down the hallway and he 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 sees malcolm and uh he stops in front of this staircase and he you know you look up and there's nothing there but then you see cole look up and you see it from his perspective and there are three people hanging there and it is so eerie and so chilling just to get you know that call back it's like no wonder this kid is like so focused on the hanging he just walks down the hallway and there's he sees the ghosts of people hanging um i'm gonna jump ahead to my sixth sense moment because it, it's actually a moment that has nothing to do with the ghosts mm-hmm. um it's technically the second time uh cole and malcolm the bruce willis uh, child psychiatrist character meet 
Although it's kind of like their first like official session, so to speak, when Cole comes home from school and he sees his mom yeah. and Dr. Crow sitting there and, uh, and uh, Malcolm proposes this game where he tells him what Cole's thinking. And you see, you, you understand, although you don't understand, at least the first time you see, you don't understand like all of it kind of like where everybody's coming from, where the two characters are coming from, but you get a, a, se- a sense of just how much work these two characters have to do to, to cut, kind of understand each other and understand themselves as it turned out from the, from the, the Malcolm character perspective. Um, Malcolm says to Cole, I'm going to tell you something. And then you, if I'm right, you take a step forward. If I'm wrong, you take a step back. And there are several things that Malcolm notes about Cole and Cole steps forward. And then he starts getting it wrong either on purpose, which I don't, I'm not sure it's made explicitly clear. Is he getting things on purpose, things wrong on purpose so that maybe he can get Cole to engage with him? Or is he sort of reaching the limits of his skills as a psychologist where he doesn't necessarily fully get the things that are affecting Cole. And we get into this later where um, Malcolm comes to understand that a previous patient of his had similar issues to Cole that he missed. Um, And maybe that's why he's, you know, here trying to help this kid out um and and Haley Joel Osment is just so good uh you know I think he was nine or ten doing this but just the way he plays this kid's inner world and his 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 just resistance and and you know he's he doesn't like to be thought of as a freak although he knows there's this freaky thing about him he just wants to be normal and he he he's utterly and completely afraid of being honest with anyone about the full extent of of these things he's he's experiencing and he doesn't fully understand them himself either he just knows that weird things are happening to him and it's it's at the end of the scene he says to Malcolm he's like you know you seem like a nice man but i don't think you can help me <laughs> which is quite the punch when you get the full extent of the Malcolm Crow story by the end that you know um i think you can spoil it it's well i i 20 some years old <laughs> i get it i get it but you know he's bruce willis as it goes and also um one of the thing i'll say about the whole of six senses it reminds you just like what a great actor bruce willis is he was mm-hmm. really and and part of this is the aphasia that's affecting him of course now but you know in in prime bruce willis prime bruce willis was a, a great actor and capable of great acting and um you know that's just kind of like all over the six senses you get all these like really great scenes with um Haley Joel Osment and and Bruce Willis because it, it that relationship sells everything else that happens in that movie and you really can't again working with actors yeah yeah he gets these really like quiet performances out of actors who sometimes don't don't bring that to their roles yeah. so yeah yeah all right Let's get All to right. numero three. Yeah, so my third one uh, is from the film Signs. I could have probably made all of my choices <laughs> from the movie Signs because it is my favorite <laughs> of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a bit of a Signs renaissance coming. I think there are a few more people who are like, oh, yeah, we didn't get it the first time. Mm. Um, so I think there are more people who like it now, but it was definitely uh, not, it was maligned at the time. A lot of people were like, what What was that? Mm-hmm. Um and so, uh, again, probably the the most obvious one is the one I'm going with. Even though, like I said, there are there are so many, um, because literally, like 
every every time the camera would sort of like be on Mel Gibson's face and then pan to the rest of his family, <laughs> there'd always be something weird going on with the rest <laughs> of the family. Or it would be the other way around. But every time there was a pan like that, you always knew once you got around to the other side, it would be like, what? What are they all doing? What's going on? What's mm-hmm. that happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in particular, uh, the the real like strength, like my favorite moment from this film, and I, I again, I saw it in the theater a few times and I just loved it. And I, especially because of the, um, the reaction of the audience as well. Mm. And it's um, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character as he's in the closet watching the TV. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like Nicaragua or, or some sort of South American country. There's footage from a birthday party and there's all these kids. And of course, he's like talking to the TV as you would, right? You're like, get away, <laughs> get out of the screen. Yeah. I want to see yeah. what's going on. And so you're just pulled in <gasps> by his performance, right? Where you're like, oh, he's like, he's he's kind of like, he's really getting into this. And so we're being pulled in. And then we see the screen and we just get this like weird flash of this completely bipedal greenish man like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the alien and his reaction is essentially everyone's reaction right like Mm -hmm. it was just so well done where like we actually got you know from the audience essentially we were in that moment we were all (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix (laughs) and he was us like he reacted in the exact same way we did Mm-hmm. you know it to that reveal which you know upon rewatch you're sort of like well that looks really like cheesy it's not really <laughs> but mm-hmm. you're just so drawn into it and in a way like in real life too if we were watching something on tv and there was just like this flash of something that you can't quite see and can't quite understand you'd probably react the same way because you have all these heightened sort of things going on right like they're all mm-hmm. boarded up into the house and they're worried about things so he's got this heightened, you know, reaction to everything. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was just great. Everything about it was great. I love that film. I love, you know, as I say, he gets, Shyamalan gets these like quiet performances out of people and he gets that a lot in signs, but he mm-hmm. also gets really loud, you know, the opposite mm-hmm. as well. He gets these really like reactionary performances also in this film. Mm-hmm. I just, I I love everything about Signs. I could talk about it forever. Yeah, if I were to pick a scene from Signs, I would be it um, because it's it, it's so perfect um, in in terms of you, you know giving giving it to you from the character's perspective, and it's it's also a real audience moment too. Um, mm-hmm. That one of those things where you experience it, seeing with the audience. I you're talking about a Signs revival. For my number three, I'm going to talk about a village revival yeah. um, because a lot of people, I think, misunderstand that movie. Um, and and I, I understand, like a lot of people talk about like, to spoil the village. It's 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 supposed to be like this idyllic 19th century village, but it's this sort of like kooky, kind of almost cultish, like uh, th- these people who are victims of crime in the decades prior to the start of the movie move to this isolated area where they can live out this sort of ideal pre-industrial existence and a lot of people read that it's like well why are they pretending it's the 19th century because you can see on the tombstones it says like 18 whatever mm-hmm. it's, you know why are they talking it's like stilted like dinner theater crucible kind of way it's um 
you know, it's not necessary. You could still present it as a mystery. It's like, why in the 21st century are these people living like it's, you know, the the 1800s? I think that misinterprets what the, the movie's trying to say. I think that, like we're going to talk about with Knock at the Cabin, there's a bit of mass delusion going on here. Um, there's a lot of people trying to escape into fantasy, um, unable to deal with sort of like these stresses and conditions of modern time. And I think that's really kind of set up appropriately in this, the one scene I'm, I'm t- going to talk about here, which is when uh, Edward Walker, who's sort of like the village elder, the, the main village elder played by William Hurt shows his daughter, Ivy played by Bryce Dallas Howard, the, the shed, the old shed where they keep these, monster costumes which they use to scare the villagers and to dissuade people from going into the woods around the village he's breaking he's breaking the mass delusion because it really does feel like for the first time he's been presented with the limits of this world that he set up and he has to explain it to the other elders later um, and it really does feel like it's the first time he's really thought about this. Like, what happens when all the elders are gone <laughs> and there's mm-hmm. no one to run around in these little pig costumes or porcupine costumes or whatever they are to, to keep, you know, the the younger people who have no idea that this is all a, a fugazi um, to keep them inside the village. And what happens when they decide, like, hey, we haven't seen those pig monsters in a while. <laughs> um you know it's it's the first test of this like little mass delusion they've created for themselves and it's it's you see kind of walker trying to process it in real time and of course the evidence of this is that ivy is wanting to get medicine that can save her fiance's life and um it's pretty simple antibiotics um it's also telling that Ivy, of course, is blind. So she's, you know, she can see all kinds of things beyond the forest that she, she may not be able to go back and describe fully. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is, it is interesting to sort of watch this, the veil of this being pure, that these people were living in, in essentially a mass delusion and being forced to confront not only forced to confront the the end of the delusion, but also forced to confront that they set this up to escape all the petty crimes and jealousies of the modern world, and it just ends up following them there, there uh, too, because uh, Lucian, the, the Joaquin Phoenix character, is attacked by one of the other people in the village because he and Ivy announce that they're, they're getting married. So it's it's it does it it's if if it the whole the premise of the village feels purposefully staged it is because the whole premise is that these people are kind of trying to live in their own little cosplay world and it is kind of ineffective and at the end with with Bryce Dallas Howard you you kind of realize it's kind of all on her now she can pop this pin and blow up this proverbial balloon or she can like take on that mantle and it, indeed the, the Walker characters like, you know, it, she and Lucin can take over for us. And that's kind of, you know, kind of baked in the grain in, in terms of, of, you know, where, where the story is going, but it, it, it is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and 
It's yeah. interesting to think, um, especially the way you sort of laid it out, which mm. I, I completely agree with, um, but I'd never really sort of put it into words like that. But it really is, um, it's about faith. Mm-hmm. And it's so strange how many of Shyamalan's films are about that, right? Like the very first mm-hmm. one that I talked about, Wide Awake, is literally about trying to find proof of God. Mm-hmm. Signs is about having lost your faith and how you come back around mm-hmm. to to finding it again. Um, the village, in a way, is is about faith. It's just not about really a Christian faith, but it's about, uh, uh, you know, how do we hold on to the faith we have? And when yeah. it's tested, will you come back or will you stay mm-hmm. lady in the water is sort of the same thing too right like they mm-hmm. all have to believe that this character is a whatever they call this mermaid type thing and then of course <laughs> um the the one we're about to review is very much about faith mm-hmm. well that seems like a good segue to uh lead us into the break that will take us to the review so we're going to talk about knock at the cabin the new m night Shyamalan. after the break you are listening to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio You have to understand that we cannot and will not choose who is to be sacrificed for you. And just as importantly, we cannot act for you. You cannot kill yourselves. We're not choosing anyone. We're not sacrificing anyone. Not now, not ever. Even if it means the death of everyone else in the world. Yes. Even if I believe the world was at stake, which I don't, that's what it means. I would watch the world die a hundred times over before having... Christ. Waste of time. They're never going to choose to do this. And I don't blame them. Okay, so that was a clip from Knock at the Cabin. It's the new film from writer and director M. Night Shyamalan, and it stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Amuka-Bird, Kristen Soy, Abby Quinn, and Ron Weasley. I'm just kidding. He probably hates getting that. Uh, <laughs> Rupert Grint. Jeez. <laughs> uh, you know, it's been 12 years since the last Harry Potter movie this year. Wow. Only yeah. 12, eh? Feels like a lifetime ago. I so know, much has of. changed in the Harry Pottersville. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, knock at the cabin door. Opening thoughts. Um. Good Lord, Dave Bautista might be, like, one of our finest working actors. Oh, for like, sure. how did this happen? I just, I was floored by him. Mm-hmm. That's that's my, like, my, I mean, I have other takeaways, but that's, like, my biggest takeaway from this. I'm just like, that man is a movie star. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, I think there are a lot of reasons to see this movie, Um but I think Dave Bautista <laughs> is a very major one. Um, I uh, have not read the book uh, that it's based on, um, Cabin at the End of the World. I had heard a few things about it, and I have Paul Tremblay on my list of like authors to check out because his books seem very up my alley. 
mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like horror-ish. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so I, I I hadn't read the the book at all. Um, I kind of feel like I wasn't really paying attention, and this sort of just appeared, and I heard a couple of things about it, and I went, oh. Well, this is all right. Let's let's go check it out. Uh, so I went in without too much idea about what it was. Um, I mean, I knew the sort of the premise, right? Mm-hmm. That the four people were coming to the cabin uh, for the family to, you know, choose choose a sacrifice. That's kind of all I had. Which, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that is really kind of all it is. Also, mm-hmm. which is really unique. Um, I quite enjoyed the film and there is actually a lot going on in here, but really at its core, it's, it's really like to describe it. It's really just for people who have visions of an apocalyptic future come to ask this family to make a sacrifice. And at the end of the movie, that's still what the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole story. Um, yeah. The, the, uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it very much um, does make me want to read the book, which I understand has some key differences. So mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to know what the to to read it and find how different it is. Um, but yeah, I really liked it, and the performances were incredible. And my God, did it look great! This mm-hmm. film, it mm-hmm. looked gorgeous, and it was shot on film. And boy, you could tell. Well, at least I could tell. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it looks great. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a very insulated sort of little play um, with seven characters. Uh, I did enjoy the M. Night cameo. I think it may be his best cameo yet. Certainly um, the most... Um, uh, like not Not really the least obtrusive, but the most like, yes. okay, this makes sense. Yes. I can totally buy this as a cameo, as opposed to some other cameos. It's like, well, really, you cast yourself as that? Come on mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, like, yeah, it's it's the least egregious. Um, I mean, on a scale of between this and um, signs, he, it, it's signs where he plays the guy who kills Mel Gibson's wife in the car accident. Yeah. The catalyst. <laughs> um, I mean, the village isn't great either. Where he plays the one of the park rangers who's like, you know, don't <laughs> don't don't upset the apple cart. Um, yeah, the <laughs> Dave Bautista is the the glue of this, and it uses his size well. Um, it uses there's a, there's a gentleness to the Leonard character that I really appreciate, and in, in terms of how it contrasts with you know Dave Bautista, this huge guy, tattoo covered. Um, but you you know, I, I have seen Dave Bautista in person. He was at Fan Expo years and years ago, uh, shortly after Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and he he's a, he's a deeply thoughtful and serious guy. And uh, so so the the fact that he is capital A acting in this is is not terribly surprising. But this this is one of those circumstances where it uses him his the the outer appearance of the actor as as great sort of lampshading and what's going on in the inner world of the character and you really feel his his conflict and his emotion and his tenderness um you know there's like there's one scene where leonard shouts and and he immediately apologizes and he apologizes he apologizes specifically to the little girl yeah um which is is an especially nice touch that you know 
that really sells the fact that you know Leonard's a two, second grade teacher. So of course, he, he, if he raised his voice in the presence of an eight year old, that's immediately going to be sort of triggering for him. Um, you know, probably telling a room full of 25, 30 kids every day not to shout. But um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's also great that I feel like Shyamalan went for actors who um were not well known and uh the 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 other i mean rupert grint is probably the most well known because of uh certain franchises but abby quinn and and nikki amuka bird as as the other sort of um well horsemen of the apocalypse is are kind of named mm-hmm. later it's um that makes it really interesting and dynamic um also the fact that you have jonathan groff and ben aldridge who are two openly gay actors playing openly gay characters i feel like is um a pretty powerful subtext of this as well that yeah it's about this fantastical thing about four strangers coming to this random cabin in the woods and telling a a family that they have to sacrifice one of the people in the family in order to save in order to stop the end of the world um it's given this sort of like real legitimacy though because it you know, you have um, you know two gay actors playing gay men. You have sort of these um, people who you know seem like you know. He just Shyamalan just went out and said, "Hey, you, you want to be in a movie? Come on in." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, and it, not only that, I mean, even with the um, with with the couple mm-hmm. uh, Eric and Andrew, uh, mm-hmm. so Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge, you have two, um, you know, really sort of real people. Mm-hmm. too like mm-hmm. um they're each their own character and they're very well developed and you can see how and why they make the choices they make and you know mm-hmm. one of them is kind of a man of faith and the other one is totally like a man of reason mm-hmm. um and you know we even see a little bit how they navigate that in their relationship to begin with because we get these really nice sort of flashbacks that fill in um most of the the character development and yeah, like everybody just feels really real and lived in in such yeah. a like a bizarre circumstance, right? Like <laughs> I totally agree. Like Leonard, Dave Bautista's character is given so much character mm-hmm. and he's able to portray it so well too. Like mm-hmm. it's clear right from the beginning his very slow, careful walk. So it opens <laughs> with um the the actress uh, Kristen Cooey who plays Wen, the eight year old child who is also like really good. She's really good. She is really good, but her character is also really good too, right? Her character is also like a really smart, resourceful, thoughtful mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. who obviously like trusts and understands her parents in a way that maybe a lot of other people don't like they just see their parents as authority figures or or as caregiver like i don't know she seems to have this relationship with them mm. where she really trusts them and they really trust her so she's outside playing by herself in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere which seems a little <laughs> at first i was like what are you where are your parents what is going on but then we get introduced and i'm like oh i understand why she was just out front catching grasshoppers and they were just on and the on the back deck and not worried about her but so she's by herself and dave bautista's character of leonard is like front and center he makes himself very visible he doesn't creep or mm-hmm. like stalk up 
mm-hmm. he makes himself very visible but walks very like slowly in a way that's like not intimidating so even just through his like physicality right at the very beginning he's already letting us know so much about his character mm-hmm. and then you're right about like using the size like mm-hmm. right from that scene too that was kind of when I was like, oh, <laughs> that's right. Shyamalan has such a great like visual presence because he's, you know, she's so small and Leonard is so big and we see the difference and they shake hands, this tiny little hand and this great big hand. Yeah. And yeah. they sit down and we don't really see each of them except for that moment when we see them shake hands. We don't see them in the same frame. Yeah. But we see these close-ups on their face where their faces almost look the same size because they're so close. But yeah. somehow it still helps you to know like how little she is and how big he is and how this could be like a really scary <laughs> sort of thing. And he's working so hard to make it not scary. I'm like, yeah, oh, man. But while still also being a little bit, uh, you're a little bit uncertain it's about unsettled. how it's, it's yeah, it's unsettled, and and it's because of the slight perspective because it's it's a close up of their faces, but you can definitely see that. You're looking down on Wynn, and you're looking up on Leonard. Yeah. Well, so and he, then at one point, then suddenly it becomes Dutch angle on both of their faces. Yes. Oh, yeah. A little off kilter. Yeah. 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 But she's so, like like I said, as a, as a like the character of Wen, you know, she's very cautious. Mm-hmm. She's asking him questions. She's not being dumb in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really intriguing to hear, to see her interact with this man in a a really like i'm gonna be careful but i'm also not going to Mm -hmm. freak out because that could be a bad thing and i'm gonna it was yeah he's not scary but i mean you're you're definitely sort of like what's going on here yeah yeah they know they're in the middle of nowhere so where did you come from (laughs) yeah yeah that's the thing about about all of this is and i appreciated it just like getting right into it and and this is not a, an unfamiliar trick with Shyamalan movies where he gives out character details and flashback, but um, I, I appreciate that we, we just kind of get right into it. We, he, he lays the table and then lets things start to unfold as opposed to, you know, we're going to spend 20 minutes with, you know, Eric and Andrew and Wynn hanging around and, and doing family things. We get these little snippets, you know, singing, you know, in, in the car together or... Um, you know when they they go i guess it's some south asian country china or vietnam or korea and to to adapt adopt win when she's a baby and um you you get just enough to sort of let you know what the dynamics are otherwise we are insanely focused on this story and the other thing i appreciate it is Shyamalan holds on for as long as possible to this idea that this could be a delusion. These people could be mm-hmm. crazy, even though they seem very earnest. They seem very nice, um, exception of the Grint character, but he's kind of out of it before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before too long. But, you know, th- that you know, these very pleasant, for the most part, pleasant people, um, could they be conning them? Could they be, you know, crazy people? Um, how do you know, like, if, there's an earthquake, you know, in, off the Oregon coast. Like, and if you're nowhere near Oregon, you know, how do you how do you know all this? Yeah. And yeah. It, it, there, there's a lot of really great, like, the f- constantly looking at the wristwatch and things. It's it's a, it's such a great trick that he plays for 
almost two thirds of the movie, like maybe all of this really is crazy. And yeah, there's they're they're being set up in some way. Like what the deal is, it's it's hard to say because you know it's they're going to such extremes to try and prevent the end of the world. But having said that. People go to extremes to make their fantasy reality sometimes, and we've certainly seen that a lot in recent years. So the the, the movie is is very good in in terms of, um, I guess it's a, maybe a bit of magical realism that um, that Shyamalan's playing, which is kind of his bag. But mm-hmm. um, this idea that is it is the world ending, and again, you know, of all cockamimi places to end up this cabin in the middle of nowhere where there are two gay parents and an adopted daughter like of, of and, yeah. and, and and i think andrew makes that point of one more it's like of, like of, of course all the families you could go to and have them make this decision it's you know it's it's our family which you know it sticks out like a sore thumb in in terms of the the heteronormative nature of the world so yeah, but it's interesting, right? Because they do, you know, um, Eric in particular, or uh, Andrew in particular, keeps saying like, "We're t- we've been targeted. We're always right. targeted." Right. This, whereas they keep saying, "No, it's about the the love you have mm-hmm. and how strong the love is." Mm-hmm. And so you get these really two sort of opposing ideas mm-hmm. um, about you know what what is it about, and at. <laughs> I I definitely felt like, even though Andrew felt so sure that it was about being targeted, and mm-hmm. I believe that he believed that, mm-hmm. um, I really feel like right from the get-go, it wasn't about that at all. It really was. And so it was quite nice to have it be, yeah, just like this really loving family. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I disagree with the premise in general that... Like, I don't know what powers that be that we're supposed to, like, you know, Mm -hmm. sacrifice things to. I'm just going to reject that on principle. I'm like, nope, nope, sorry. As far as I'm concerned, the world can burn then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, none of us deserve to be here if that's that's what has to happen. But, um, you know, everyone has their own personal thing. And I was actually, I was very interested sort of in in my journey as well as i'm watching the film because mm. i spent a good portion of the film very much going yeah no no if i was in this situation nope sorry the the world can burn mm-hmm. and then like right towards the end i was like i don't know maybe maybe does this maybe if i keep thinking the world can burn because i'm not going to sacrifice <laughs> my love does that make me like all the mm-hmm. anti-maskers like it's a really mm. interesting film to come out in a time when we're in such like yeah conversation around personal freedom yeah but that's not what this is about at all like it's really really not about that and doesn't even like come close to being that conversation but it's- then you know as a viewer as you're sort of thinking as you put yourself into that position like i'm i was just sort of forced to say like wow like it's interesting what? yeah sorry sorry i didn't mean to interrupt it just yeah. it, it's the embodiment of andrew and eric where andrew is very much on everything that has happened but eric is focused on everything that will happen and one of the things that breaks through is when eric talks about having this vision of 
when being a grown up and it's it's just this this little ordinary scene of grown up when and and older andrew getting into a car together to go somewhere and it's it's just um it's just a quiet little moment it, it could be could mean a hundred different things and all of Andrew's focus, understandably so, is like, you know, when he was attacked at a bar, because he was at a bar with his boyfriend, or like his, the interesting thing is he's a human rights lawyer, as he as he discusses, and he, his point of view is just like, humanity is awful, if this is what we're going to have to <laughs> yeah. do to, to survive, maybe it's okay if we all die. Um, it's interesting to have that point of view in a movie like this, where it's typically in these things become so redactive it's like no we must save humanity it's there's something kind of refreshing about someone saying no let it burn (laughs) it's fine let it burn (laughs) yeah and what i do love too is that even though eric as the one who's the the man of faith who like right from the beginning Mm -hmm. of this interaction i don't say he has doubts Mm -hmm. but he he experiences all of it in a from a very different experience from a very different place than where andrew experiences it Mm. but even at that he continues to stand with andrew and say no we will not make this choice right right because in the end his love was still more important than his faith Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which i think is also important Mm -hmm. yeah it's there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of grist here for a simple narrative of <laughs> kill somebody to save the world um mm-hmm. but i mean i think you know Shyamalan, uh you know has definitely found his groove again and uh if he's even even something like old which isn't that great is still pretty interesting i think this is like a, a little bit of uh probably him firing on all cin- cylinders as compared to something like old but um i i think his gift is that he he gives you a lot to chew on and uh we have certainly chewed on quite a bit today because that's the end of our show and we hope you liked it and if you want to listen to it again you can find us on our website endcreditsradioshow.com you can download us on the guelph politicast channel every friday at podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify and speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show. Just open up Spotify and search for end credits on CFRU to find that playlist. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candice, where else can people find you out there on the internet? Yeah, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Sin48, C-I-N-N, and the digits 4-8. Um, uh, there is a new episode of the, the Village podcast by uh, The Bookshelf out this week. I was not able to join you, Adam, to review Megan, uh, but I did manage to get, get my thoughts out on uh, The Village podcast. So if people want to know what I thought of Megan, M3gin, and. <laughs> Have a listen. <laughs> M3gan. Yeah. Uh, made that joke. Checked it. Um, yeah. Yep. Anyway, we'll be back here on, uh, well, I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for the end credits gang we shall be back here next wednesday at 3 p.m for another show and we will see you then